Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our lesson, as I mentioned before, is coming from Jonah chapter 3. We're in a sermon series on Jonah. We're taking one chapter at a time. If you want to catch up to this sermon series, if you've missed any, chapter one is all about the callings that God has given to us in our life and more so how God continues to call to us with his grace and his mercy. Chapter two, chapter two is all about how, well, the areas in our life where we just don't feel that we're in control, we can know for sure and for always that we have a God who is even in control of those things. And today, chapter three, what we're looking at is a sermon that Jonah preaches as we think about the idea of God's return and thus numbering our days between. This is Jonah chapter three. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of kings and nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, Taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of your God. Forty more days. Forty more days and you and Everyone and everything that you love will be overthrown. Amen. I won't. I won't do that. But what if I did? What if that's the sermon that I preached? 
And what if that, that sermon, it wasn't just my harebrained idea that came from some wacky religious leader who thinks he knows what only God knows when God's gonna come back, but really God revealed it, that October 29th, 40 days from today, it will be a day of wrath. It will be a day of reckoning for you and all those you love. What if that was the sermon I gave? I just said, amen. No praise, no prayers, no blessing of God's peace sending you back out into your vocations, into your callings in life, but that's it. 40 more days. Inevitably, if that were to really happen, if that really were the case, you would be forced to ask yourself a serious soul-searching question. How am I going to spend those days? And then you'd number your days as the countdown begins. Tick, tick, tick. I told you I won't preach that sermon. But this morning, we will look at someone who did, at Jonah, who preached that sermon to the Ninevites And as we do, what the Holy Spirit's going to do through God's word, he's still going to make us wrestle with that question. The question of of numbering our days and and what we do with our time before God does come back. I told you I, I will not preach that sermon, but now can I tell you why I won't preach the sermon that Jonah preached? It's because it stinks. It's because it smells like it just got vomited up from the belly of a fish. I've been, I wrote that one in this week. I thought that would get a few more laughs. You guys might be thinking, I've been, I've been picking on Jonah a little bit too much throughout this sermon series. And, and maybe you're right. So before we critique his sermon, can, can we give him props? Can we, can we point out one good thing that happened to Jonah? You heard it before, this is something that has never happened throughout the entire two previous chapters in this book. God's word came to Jonah. God came to Jonah a second time and said, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. And get this, Jonah obeyed. For the very first time, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Jonah actually listened. This time he stood up, he went to Nineveh, and what we have right here towards the middle of the book is this climactic event where we're holding our breath as we watch as Jonah, he does it. He finally does it. He listens to what God's word has to say, and he gets up, he goes to Nineveh, and yet the narrator creates this sort of tension, don't they? We're forced to ask, well, what's he going to (laughs) say? What's he going to do when he gets there? Is he actually going to preach to them, and he does. But what he does is he preaches a five-word sermon in Hebrew, eight in English, and that's it. That's the sermon. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And now can I tell you why that stinks? Think about what had just occurred in Jonah's life. Go back to chapter one. God calls Jonah to be his prophet and go speak to Nineveh. And Jonah runs. What he soon finds out, though, is that he can't outrun God's grace. He comes after him with wave after wave of his mercy. 
So Jonah takes his life into his hands. He tries to commit suicide jumping into the ocean, but even there, he can't get away from God's love and God's goodness as God sends a whale to swallow him up, shelter him from the storm, save his life, preserves him three days, three nights in the belly of the whale, and then spits him up on the shore of resurrection life. And we just pause (laughs) and we think, how good is our God? How great is God? How compassionate is God? How patient is God? How much grace does God have for Jonah? I mean, Jonah has a new lease on life. And yet he could care less. He's apathetic. He's angry. He's lazy. And with no sense of urgency, while God is out here with wave after wave of his grace and mercy, Jonah's out here preaching like Eeyore the donkey. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. He just goes on his way. Amen. That's it. Now, can we critique this sermon for a second? Look at it. Jonah doesn't even mention specific sins that the Ninevites committed. He doesn't even give them a fighting chance. He doesn't go, hey, Nineveh, you're pretty evil. You're pretty violent. Don't do that. That's against God's word. No law. He doesn't even preach about how a Christian should live, how a follower of God should live. No sanctification. He doesn't say, hey, guys, instead of living these terrible, evil, and awful ways, actually, what you should do is... How about you repent? Show some humility and and some remorse. None of that. No sanctification. And he doesn't talk about their justification, how they're right with God. He doesn't say, guys, this is why you should repent. This is why you should give up your evil ways. You have a God whose heart is huge. You have a God whose heart is so big that he wants you, Nineveh. He wants you to be with him in heaven. He wants to be your God. He wants you to be his people. He wants to give you forgiveness, Nineveh. Look, he doesn't even mention the name of the Lord his God who made the heavens and the sea, who made every single Ninevite, and wants them back in his his loving embrace. None of it. That's why this sermon stinks. But I get it. I preach about 50 times a year. And I bet there is some sermons that I give where where maybe the law is a little unclear. Maybe the gospel's a little veiled. Maybe there's some where you think, kind of stinks. So let's, let's step back, because this is still God's word. It still is in God's word, right? And so even on a preacher's worst day, when a preacher preaches God's word, we can learn something, right? So what do we learn? What do we learn from Jonah's stinking sermon? Well, he actually teaches us one of the most foundational truths of all the Christian faith. You catch it in just the first three words of this sermon. He says, 40 more days. What those three words do is tell us two things about your God. And here's the first. If you're taking notes in your worship guide this morning, this is the first fill in the blank, that your God, God 
is the God of his amazing grace. Why does 40 more days teach us that? Well, think about who the Ninevites are. They are the Old Testament Taliban. They did terrible things to their enemies and they did worse things to their own women. That is the Ninevites. And yet, how does God treat them? He gives them time. He gives them time of grace. He gives them time to turn to them. He gives them prophets who go and speak the word of God to them to point him back to the God who made them, the God who loves them, and the God who wants to give his amazing, unconditional grace and save, yes, even wretches like the Ninevites. That's the first truth. Here's the second one that it teaches us, that that same God, as one pastor really vividly, clearly put it, is the God of the ticking clock. He says 40 more days. The same God who sent Jesus Christ into the world to save you and loves you is also the same God who will judge you. We confess it every single Sunday. We say, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I believe that he will come back to judge living and the dead. It's the most fundamental aspect of the Christian faith that Christ came and he is coming again. So let's put these two truths about our God together. And what does this teach us as Christians? What Jonah's sermon teaches us is that Christians live with a sense of urgency. They live with a sense of urgency because while Jesus loves us, this I know, he's coming back and this we need to know too. And this is why this stinking sermon is still in scripture. Don't you see it? Jonah is satire. There's irony here. As Jonah is acting like that, that old man who's in the last year of his, of his career before his retirement and really has already checked out, Jonah is preaching in that way. His, his presence is there, but his mind is 2,500 miles away in Tarshish. Yes, he is physically there. Spiritually, emotionally, he is gone. He's telling the Ninevites, remember the God of the ticking clock. And yet here's Jonah, just to chip off the old block of, eh, who cares? Just check in the box. And what he teaches us, what the Holy Spirit through Jonah chapter three wants us to think about is living with a sense of urgency. Because it confuses me. It really confuses me why this fundamental aspect of the Christian faith is so easily forgotten. Psalm 90 verse 12 tells us this. It's a prayer to the Lord that says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And yet why is it that Christians forget that their God is the God of the ticking clock? It's no wonder then that Christians live lives and still question their purpose. It's no wonder that Christians live and wonder, why am I here? It's no wonder that Christians live with a lack of joy and a lack of optimism, but experience pessimism. The world's going to hell in a handbasket and I don't know what to do about it. It's because there's no urgency, no purpose, but laziness like Jonah. 
This past Friday, we watched in our summer movie night series, the second best movie of all times. We watched Remember the Titans. And I promise, if you haven't seen it, there will be no, no spoilers here, but I do need to tell you about the pivotal moment of that movie. I won't give it away, but what happens is, get this, the Titans go to the state title game, and in the final moments of the game, Denzel Washington, playing the part of Coach Boone, calls the greatest trick play of cinematic history. What he does is he calls a fake 23 blast George reverse. You can see him calling it in the huddle. Fake 23 blasts, George reverse on two. The guys go out there, and as the waning seconds of the game click down, they call the play. They run the play, and I won't tell you what happened, but for a moment, imagine if there was no game clock. Imagine if in football or any sport, no countdown. I mean, would the players even run? Would the players even tackle? They wouldn't need to. Defense could go take a nap because after a while, we're going to get the ball back at some point and we'll go score as much as we want. Would people even run? Would fans even come to the game? Would anybody remember the Titans? So why is it Christians don't remember that their God is the God of the ticking clock? Why is it that in so many of our hearts and in so many of our lives, there is no spiritual sense of urgency? How long? How long, husbands, until you realize the importance of God's imperative that you, you are called to be the spiritual leader of your household, not your pastor, not other people, but you. And on the last day, God will keep you accountable for that. Tick, tick, tick. Single Christians, how long are we going to choose to really believe this part of God's word, but for now we'll just ignore this part? Tick, tick, tick. I remember speaking to a young person who, who knew Jesus loved them and who said they loved Jesus. But when I even brought up the idea about gathering around God's word, worshiping the God they loved, gathering around God's word and sacraments, he told me, friends, weekends, it's kind of a priority at this point in my life. Tick, tick, tick. Confuses me how, how Christians can, can gladly be a part of a church that takes the trumpet of the gospel and blasts it out loud. And yet, in their private life, they refuse to realize that God is calling them again and again and again to speak grace to their neighbors. If you used to remember that Jesus said, If you deny me before men, I I'm not going to remember you before my father. Tick, tick, tick. Christians, can, can we talk about this? 
because this is, this is real. How long are we gonna embrace a cultural Christianity instead of a biblical Christianity? How long are we gonna pretend that we can just take our faith and go solo and not realize our present spiritual reality is this. When Christ called you to Christ, he didn't just call you randomly to an island to follow Christ. He called you into the body of Christ. And that means when Christians gather, your presence is not a matter of your personal preference. Tick, tick, tick. You get a 14-day free trial of Peacock or, you know, maybe Apple TV, the streaming service you don't have. And all of a sudden, your life is infused with urgency. Honey, cancel our social plans. The next 14 nights, we are watching Harry Potter and The Office, all of them, again. But when your pastor shares with you the message that Christ himself gives, that you, did you not, you're not always going to have time to speak words of grace to your neighbor, to show acts of mercy to those that God have called you to. You're not always going to have time to gather with my word and sacraments one ear out the other. As the clock goes tick, tick, tick. I need the God of the ticking clock. And so do you. And that's why I'm really glad that there's more than one sermon in this chapter. Did you catch that as I read it? Jonah isn't the only preacher. In fact, he's not even given a nominee for Preacher of the Chapter Award. Did you see who was? It was the king. The king of the Ninevites delivered a sermon. He delivered a proclamation, and it smells of sweet gospel goods. Can we break this one down together? Look what the king does that Jonah does not. He starts out this way. He says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. The king does what Jonah did not. He points specifically to sins and says, don't do this, people. Don't be evil. Don't be wicked. In fact, he says, this actually is what you should do. This is how a follower of God does act. Let's, let's do this. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink. You know what? We're going to fast. Our pets are even going to fast. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. We're going to put on sorrow, sorrow that recognizes that we messed up. If we weren't such a stoic group, we might be listening to this sermon going, amen, amen. But he's not done yet. He's not done yet, so he doesn't say amen. And what the pagan king turned preacher king does is something really important. He points us away from the problem, away from the problem of sin and guilt and shame. He points us to the solution, with a question, a poignant question. He says, who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish, but we will live. Who knows? Who knows? 
All our hands should be shooting up right now because I know, you know, you know that God does in fact relent. In fact, he does more than just relent. He runs after all of the Jonas that run away from him. And even though they sin by forgetting the God of the clicking talk, what he does is he wraps them in his loving embrace. Who knows? Who knows? You know. I know. I know and you know that God in in fact already has shown compassion and turned from his anger. How do you know that? Because he's seen Jesus. You've seen and you've heard what prophets and kings longed to see. You've seen that on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. As the song goes, now on every sin on him was laid. And so here, in the love of Christ, I stand and I live. I don't perish. Who knows? Who knows? This isn't a, well, maybe, maybe God does it. Boy, I, I sure hope that God shows compassion and mercy. You, you know that he does. And what this preacher does, what the king does that Jonah does not do is he takes a lifeline and he throws it to the Ninevites. He throws to them someone, the only one who can get them out of the problem that they're in. He points them to the God of grace, the God of mercy, and he shows them that they're loved. And you get it, verse 10, it worked. God did relent. There's no bad news here. This is good news, as we'll find out next week. 600,000 men, plus the women, plus the children, they turn to God. There's, there's never been a sermon <laughs> that's done that. But if we did have to pick out one bad thing here, it's Jonah. It's that Jonah should have been the one to preach this sermon. Because Jonah knew God's grace. He had just been in a place where he was on a beach covered in whale vomit. He didn't have to put on sackcloth and ashes. He humbly knew. He should have been the one to go and call out what God had done for him. And yet, what do you see? God punish him and bury him six feet deep? No. What you see is God call out to him anyway. And that's what I want you to see here is that in spite of the repentance or the lack of repentance, the sweet sermon or the smelly one, what you have is that the God of the ticking clock is also the God of his amazing grace. He doesn't stop. He comes after Jonah and the Ninevites. And then when he's done with the Ninevites, this is why you gotta come back next week, because he's not done with Jonah. He keeps coming back to him again and again and again. He comes back to him when he was running from him, when he was jumping and trying to swim away from him. He comes back to him again and he gives him more of his love and grace and mercy. This God is the same God. And just like God was not done with Jonah, he's never done with you. His grace means that he is the unobligated giver who gives unearned, unmerited love to you unendingly. 
And he gives it again and again. He gives it to Ninevites. He gives it to Jonah's. He gives it to sinner saints who struggle with their sins, who struggle to remember that their God is the God of the ticking clock. He comes to them again and again, and he pours out his love. That's what Jonah chapter three helps us see. Two preachers, two sermons. Both brought about a sense of urgency They did it differently. Jonah did it this way. He said, 40 more days gave a deadline. The preacher king said, who knows? And he pointed people to God's compassion and his mercy. What he did is he he gave the Ninevites a lifeline. And that's the reason we live with urgency. Christians live with urgency This is why, not because of a deadline, but because of a lifeline. A deadline demands. A deadline is the law. A deadline draws a line in the sands and says, if you cross it, you will die. A lifeline does the opposite. A lifeline provides a way out. A lifeline is thrown to people who are drowning, people who are stuck and suffering and gets them out when they can't get out by their own power. And that's what God does. And that is why we live with a sense of urgency, not because of fear, but because of the freedom that we have in Christ. Do you know why Christians can live, live lives where they mess up a whole bunch, where they live simultaneously as sinners, but also saints? It's not because God is threatening to punish them. It's because they have been forgiven in Christ and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, they have faith that takes hold of fast and grips hard all of the goods that Christ Jesus gives in the gospel. That's why they live urgently. That's why they go and they quickly, earnestly forgive others just as as they have been forgiven. And they go and they proclaim that forgiveness and that hope to others. Do you know why it is that Christians can urgently get after it in all of their callings in life? It's because our time Our energy is not wasted on trying to get right with God. You already are. You are at peace with him, and now you are just released to go free and live urgently in all of your callings, in all of the spaces in your life as one who has just been let go from prison by Christ himself. You are the one with the new lease on life. You want to know why it is that Christians can live urgently even when they look at life and and they're suffering pain, hardship, insults? It's because of grace. It's because we don't live with a scarcity mindset that uh, make the most of what you can, eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we die, No, we don't don't live with scarcity. We live with the sufficiency of grace that is given in Christ Jesus, that is power in weakness. And that's why we can live with optimism when the world lives with pessimism, hope when the world has none. That is why you can live with a sense of urgency in all the areas that a Christian lives. Can I tell you a little bit of a pet peeve of mine? It's when... Christian children's storybooks end at chapter three. Or it's when preachers make this sermon and make sermon series about second chances. 
you go Google it. I did a little research before I started this sermon series. So, so many stories of Jonah are, are told as though, like, this is a second chance story. Like, it's cool that God gives you one chance, then another chance, but you better watch out because three strikes, you're out. No, God doesn't give second chances. God gives grace, and he gives amazing grace that has no limits, that has no bounds. Can I give you a pro tip? If you ever hear a preacher or anybody tell you that God gives chances, go and tell them they're wrong. God doesn't give chances. He gives grace. He gives grace to Jonah's. He gives grace to Ninevites. And he gives it again and again and again. Because what chance does is it implies probability. But what grace does is supply certainty. You have certainty in life, in all of your callings, that God loves you. You're right with him because he gives grace and not merely second chances. There's a website. It's kind of morbid. It's called deathclock.com. It's real. You can go on there and you can put in your birthday. You can put in your height, your weight, You can put in your body mass index and then whether or not you're a smoker and hit enter. And what pops up is a separate separate pop-up screen with a date and a clock that counts the days and minutes, the hours, the seconds till your death date. It's a little weird. I've tried it read the website quite a bit. And it's nice because the creators of the website, they don't pretend to be God. They're not saying that, that they actually know. But they are saying that science is a thing and it does make us think with urgency about some of the choices we make in terms of our health. What we eat, how we exercise. Should I smoke? Should I not? It instills urgency. So I thought, you know what, let's do something different. Let's create a life clock because we're Christians, right? And and we don't live with a sense of urgency because of a deadline. We live with a sense of a lifeline. So I I Googled lifeclock.com. I thought, this is great. We're going to make a website. It's still not uh, being used. Sadly, it was selling for $61,000, so I didn't buy it. But I thought that's actually better because instead of doing a pretend life clock, you and I, we can actually do a real one. And instead of entering our, our birth dates, let's enter in our, our baptism dates. The date, the day on which you and I were given a lifeline, given an, an inheritance of eternal life, given an identity that is based on who we are in Christ Jesus and not what we do. And instead of maybe concerning ourselves with, with our weight and our body mat, index. You know what I thought? Let's just think about the figurative spiritual fat that we can cut out of our lives and, and do that so that more and more we can fill ourselves up with the eternal words of life that completely satiate and satisfy us for eternity. And so we can, we can fit more and more and better and better into the royal robes of Christ's righteousness, which he has 
permanently tailor-fitted to you. Instead of measuring our heights, let's, let's think about the, hei- the, the heights of God's love. And the fact that neither heights nor depths nor, nor anything can separate you from that. Instead of maybe thinking about quitting smoking, well, let's think about what, what can we quit in life? What can we cut out? And what can we do? And where can we call on the Lord like the Ninevites? Because the countdown, oh, it's on. But you don't have to fear because God's grace is here. It is yours. And he is not leaving you. The only question that remains, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the days that you have left? Tick, tick, amen. (laughs) 